Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to Tax Tuesday. I'm Jeff Webb. I head up the professional services and Elliot Thomas is here. He is the director of the tax advising, the consulting arm of our tax department. He's not quite right, so he's perfect for this role. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is something we need, we love doing. Uh, We do this for pretty much open and uh, whoever wants to listen in as uh, the Screen says we're just bringing tax knowledge to the masses. Hit it, Elliot. All right. So, Tax Tuesday rules ask live via QA, feedback in Zoom, uh, and that will be answered by who all we have. We have Dutch and Kurt, both CPAs. Troy. Troy. From bookkeeping. From bookkeeping. Yes. Dana handling both YouTube and I believe doing dual, yes. dual duties there. We are live on YouTube also. We piles there as well. Pio is there. CPA. Yep. And Christos. And we can't forget Christos. Christos. <laughs> who always manages to find time to do this. Yes. I'm not sure how. You can send in questions to Tax Tuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. Yeah. If you need a detailed response, uh, you will need to become a platinum member or a tax client. Um, and this is our idea of a fast, fun, and educational. And we just want to get back to help educate. And I always like to say that uh, we really do do this for your benefit, but also your tax person's benefit and all. The more knowledgeable you are, the easier everybody's life is. Absolutely. So, Elliot, can you go over our opening questions? Yeah, we'll just run through all the questions and then we'll come back and start answering them. Is that how we're going to do it? Okay. So, first of all, uh, can the owner of a C-Corp and the founder of a nonprofit have a 401k plan for the C-Corp and a 403b plan for the nonprofit without there being a control group? Number two, I opened my LLC in November 2019. I have not generated any income, but have accumulated a whole lot of business expenses to include training, coaching, memberships, technology, supplies, and personal development. I've opened an Amazon seller account. How would I claim these expenses on my year-end taxes? Do I wait and claim past years once I have generated income? Always a popular question. Next, I understand life insurance personal slash key man uh, woman. It is not deductible to the corporation. For small S-Corps, LLCs, if possible, what would be the pros or cons of adding the payment as taxable income to the individual W-2s? Wouldn't that also help count towards a reasonable salary? Uh, number four, are capital gain and uh, gains from stock sales, options, trading, et cetera, included in calculating minimum income for uh, IRA and Roth IRA limits? I saw online two different opposite answers. I withdrew $140,000 from two IRAs, wife and mine, in December 2020 for the real estate for real estate investment. I was told I had to return one third each year or pay tax on it. The Ameritrade admin told me that the IRS website gave no such timeline, just that I had three years to return it. For some reason, the return amount wasn't was not posted in time, so I guess I'll find out. Uh, what is true? One third must be returned each year or just returned in the last uh, last of the three years? Can you quote IRS? Uh, sources. Uh, number six, when trading crypto, if you have trade, if you trade an alternate coin for Bitcoin, is that a taxable event? I converted some of my uh, Solana and Cardano to buy Bitcoin. Is this a taxable event? Airbnb ha- has requested I submit a W-9 form for the by the end of the year, or excuse me, by the end of the month to avoid a 30% deduction. Uh, this is the first time they've requested this. I believe it's because I've made over a certain dollar amount for the year. All of my income has been going into a business account of my single member LLC from day one, not taxed as a corporation. Is there any particular way I should complete the form to ensure the lowest tax liability? And then number eight, I have a rental property that I would like to sell. Can I find a replacement property first and then still do a 1031 transaction? Number nine, I own four duplexes, each one held in a separate LLC. I also self-manage them. Is it beneficial to set up a C-Corp to manage them? Does this provide asset protection and tax benefits? Since I'm a mom and pop business, is this expense worth it? I own a rental in California. I'd like to put it up or put it in an LLC for asset protection. If I exit in a 1031, 
Uh, the qualified intermediary has told me it is better not to have the LLC. If I sell outright in an LLC, is that better or worse or the same with respect to tax? Will it still be a disregarded entity? Any other issues to consider tax-wise? Explain a scenario, scenario filing a 1065, that's a partnership return, instead of a 1040. I thought everyone had to file 1040 for their personal returns. Uh, my wife and I are directors, officers, and shareholders of our Wyoming C-Corp. We have not taken a salary for the past five years. We want to take medical reimbursement from the C-Corp. Do we need to take a salary in order to do so? Our CPA told us we needed to. All right, I guess that was- And here we go to our first question. And you know what? I'm kind of disappointed because I can't blame Toby for these questions because I, <laughs> I selected him this uh, week. Toby is out at an, an event, so he was unable to attend, and I'm really glad you were able to help me out here. Yeah, happy to be here. So read it again. Can the owner of a C-Corp and the founder of a nonprofit have a 401k plan for the C-Corp and a 403b plan for the nonprofit without there being a control group issue? And I'll give you Toby's standard answer. It depends. Mm -hmm. Here's what happens. When we talk about control groups, we're typically talking about for-profits entities where more than 80%, there's more than 80% common ownership in each of the entities. Now, with a nonprofit, you don't own the nonprofit. You're not a shareholder or anything else. So what they actually look at is who is controlling the nonprofit. We're talking about the directors. So if you are the sole director of your nonprofit and the sole shareholder of your C-corporation, you're likely going to have a control issue. We often talk about you really want to have more than just yourself as the director. It could be your neighbor, your friend, or so forth to help with the, the uh, directing of that uh, nonprofit. So if you have, say, you and it can't be a relative, direct relative, because there's problems there, that's called indirect ownership. Anyway, but if you have you and uh, a good friend as directors of the nonprofit, then you each own 50%, and it doesn't matter that you own 100% of that C corporation because you don't own more than 80% or you don't have the ability to direct the goings-on of the nonprofit. You don't have that 80%. That, that control power. The control power. Okay. Thank you. So really what you want to do is probably trying to dilute that power a little bit getting that percentage down, throwing on some other people who are non-related parties. Uh, and just real quick, if I can, you know, for some people out there, they may not know the 403B plan. That's really just kind of a 401k designed for nonprofits and governmental plans and things like that. But I do believe a nonprofit could actually have a 401k plan, but typically they go with the 403B is my understanding. Right. So yeah, you could do all the salary in the C corporation and, and just do the 401k there. If you want to for lack of a better word, double dip into multiple plans. Uh -huh. uh, you could do that with a plan also in the nonprofit. If you want to throw lots of money at your, at your uh, retirement and you have the capital to back it up, there's uh -huh. always a defined benefit plan. Absolutely. Defined benefit plan is really what I tell clients. It's kind of a 401k squared. You get to put a lot more money into it typically. And maybe that's a better play for you here. If you put it in the C-Corp or the DB plan, you get a lot more money in there and you don't have to worry about the control issues over in the, uh, the nonprofit, perhaps. Right. And and anytime you have a, a deferred compensation plan, like a 401k or 403b, you're going to have to have salary before you can make any uh, contributions to that retirement plan. That's right. Yeah. So you'd be trying to take salary out of your nonprofit that you just put in. Uh, so maybe it just works better in the C-Corp C world. But uh, I guess the bottom line, it just depends. All right. Great question. Next one. I opened my LLC in November 2019. I have not generated any income, but I have accumulated a whole lot of business expenses to include training, coaching, memberships, technology slash supplies, and personal development. I've opened an Amazon seller account. How would I claim these expenses on my year-end taxes? Do I wait and claim past years once I have finally have generated income? So how's an LLC taxed? Well, that's the thing. Uh, as you've heard probably a thousand times on this show from Toby and Jeff and uh, any platinum questions, et cetera, an LLC really tells us nothing. It can be taxed disregarded, which means it's not basically not taxed. It just filters on, flows through to another return where it is taxed. Uh, could be a partnership, could be an S-corp, could it be a C-corp? And all those would have different answers here. Uh, so let's assume it's a corporation. A lot of these 
expenses, the training, and so forth could be built into establishing the business, what we call startup expenses. Uh So in a corporation, that works out really well. So we'll say a corporation tax is an LLC. Yep. If it's a disregarded LLC, it's probably at the opposite end, where some of this training is not going to be deductible because it relates to learning a new business, a career path that you're not currently on. That's right. Yeah. New new lines of business typically make it very difficult to deduct your, your training and uh, things of that nature, which is often why people wonder, well, why does Anderson work so much with a C-Corp? It's a good reason because that's the one place we can deduct it without too much consequence. And it, you also get the benefit. The corporation can deduct that expense. It may be a startup cost, which means it's amortized over time, but also you can uh, it's treated as a loans from shareholder amount where you can get that money back to you. So- you mentioned the Amazon uh, seller account. So that kind of leads me to believe this is some kind of trader business. So if it's disregarded to you, you're going to report this on Schedule C. The personal development is probably not going to be deductible. Yeah, that's a toughie. Um, supplies will be things of that nature, technology, certain memberships, if they have a direct correlation to your your entity or your LLC. But most of those would be claimed on Schedule C if it's disregarded, or they could be an S corporation or a corporation. So, and one other point, you know, Jeff pointed out that we, and, and I was talking about that we can't deduct those education expenses. That's the training, coaching, perhaps on that first return. But let's say that this has been around for a bit. That wasn't our case here. But if, uh, well, I guess it was November 2019. But if we uh, are, you know, say near two or three of this business, then it's no longer education for starting up a business. It's continuing education. Now, all of a sudden, we can deduct those there. Right. And personal development in particular, uh, it's really on a case-by-case basis. Mm -hmm. If you're a salesperson or something where networking is very important, that tends to be more deductible. If you're just wholesaling uh, to people who respond to your Amazon account, probably not deductible at all. Yeah, very well might be the case. Yeah. And that's sometimes people start getting into little different categorizations like marketing expenses and things like that to try and push over expenses into another category, perhaps. But yeah, and, and uh, you know, we had these, these, excuse me, we incurred these expenses maybe back in 19. We would need to take them in that year if we incurred that year. So we don't really get a hold on to them to future years. So your last part there, do I wait and claim past years once I have generated income? No, the generation of income has very little, if anything, to do with the the timing of when we recognize the expense. Correct. So you'll recognize in the year you incurred them. Infinity investing. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard about this, if you've been on here at all, how the rich get richer and how you can do the same. I think Toby describes this as uh, getting rich slow. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is not a get rich quick scheme. This is making about making smart investments, investing in uh, dividend paying stocks, real estate, diff- a whole variety of different things. Absolutely, but it's it's not for buying that option that's already out of the money and hoping that something good or bad happens to that <laughs> in the company and. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, a great uh, resource that we now a whole department that we now have, uh, just a, a wonderful group of people that we have. I couldn't go through the whole list of all the people working that department here in Anderson, but uh, a fantastic investment strategy overall program, I guess, is the way you put it. And this is Toby's book on it. We also do the Infinity Investment seminars. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're usually on Saturdays, not every Saturday, but fairly frequently. Pia Washington's involved mm-hmm. with that heavily. Very smart um, lady. Yes. Everybody seems to love her. Yeah, <laughs> she's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think the clients love her. And I, I, I know there's a lot of, I think they meet a lot of times in little groups during the week as well to talk talk over strategy. So it's not just a Saturday thing, I believe, but I could be wrong on that. But It's a really good thing to get involved in. You, you can get involved basically for free. And as much or as little as you want to, the more you get involved, I think you're going to want to get involved. I think it becomes very addictive. Yeah. Get your feet wet, get the book, do the Saturday seminar. You may want to sit in on some of the, uh, what do they call that? The uh, trading rooms. Yep. Uh, Usually during the week. Of course, they'd be during the week, wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. You can't do this on Saturday. (laughs) Because they have the program. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, but I would, you know, I don't want to speak for Toby, but I think he would say that uh, you should not at all be worried about your lack of knowledge. You're not going to get the knowledge unless you come in and try and learn. And that gets back all the way to where Jeff started us today. You know, we're about, uh, you know, getting tax information to the masses and educating and all that. So it's a really great program to start at any level and learn some more. Oh, these somewhere. are some reviews. Uh, we'll keep going. But yeah. these are reviews of the book. Clearly, it does well. I mean, it does well. I never get stars like that on time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. I understand life insurance, uh, personal slash key man slash woman, uh, is not deductible to the corporation. Uh, for small S corps slash LLCs, if possible, what would be the pros and cons of adding that payment as taxable income to the individual's W-2? Wouldn't that also help count towards a reasonable salary? So something I want to cut out is the, the, the key person policy, because in that case, the entity is typically the benefactor of the policy. So there's little different rules. Again, it's not deductible because the whole idea is if the president of the company croaks, I'm sorry, passes away, that the company is, is benefits from the mm-hmm. uh, benefits. I, that's a terrible word. Well, they do. <laughs> they get the funds to help. To help them replace that person. Mm-hmm. Help them continue as an ongoing operation. Mm-hmm. But the personal insurance factor. So, yes, it could pay the insurance. Yeah, there is uh, to say here that you understand that life insurance uh, <laughs> for the personal is not deductible. That's not exactly true. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. We can have something called executive bonuses, the term they really use. And that just means that let's say the premiums are worth $12,000 over the year. Well, uh, we... Basically, that becomes taxable income to the, the as you're pointing out here, is W-2 income. And so that is deductible to the corporation yeah. because it's considered salary. So we get the deduction there. It's just that that individual is recognizing more taxable income. And I, my understanding is it is subject to employment taxes uh, as well. And that's the case. Why, that, why is that important? Well, uh, because I, I would think that probably would go counting towards a reasonable salary. Now I'm jumping ship and talking about an S corporation here, but I think we would have the same analysis there. Yeah, if you're paying out any amount for for insurance and reporting it on W-2, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And yes, it would go towards your reasonable salary, whatever you deem it may need to be. Yeah, just that we might be showing more income to you that you didn't think you had before because you've increased your W-2. Many people try and flee from that, but it's not like you're not getting anything from it. Uh, You are getting the insurance plan where you could maybe take loans out Etc. And so it is a strategy. It's one that we use. A lot of our clients do use. So uh, just it's always important. I know when I'm talking to clients, I always I'm not trying to belittle this plan, but just want to make sure they understand that this is taxable income to them because I think sometimes that gets lost. So let's say you have uh, say your insurance premiums are ten thousand dollars. You're going to have to have more than that on your W two because, as you said, there's employment taxes involved. Correct. So there's a little calculating you need to do when you, if you do this, maybe idea, I would do this through a payroll company. I wouldn't yeah. do this myself. No. Yeah. So I would recommend the payroll because you got to get those payroll uh, employment taxes in there. You got to get your income tax in there as well, just federal and possibly state as well, depending on what state you live in. Uh, so there's a lot to do with it, but it can be done. Yes. Very good question. Do you think it's more beneficial to do it this way because the one thing I go back to is payroll taxes. Yeah, I, you know, right there, you're at fifteen point three percent on this amount, whatever it is that you've paid as premiums, and so I think, you know, there's going to be the income tax on it. So it's not you're not getting this for free by any means. But if you want the plan and it's a way to go about it and get it through your corporation, well, then it can be done. All right. Are capital gains and stocks, uh, excuse me, capital gains from stock sales or options trading included in calculating minimum minimum income for IRA slash Roth IRA limits? I saw online two different opposite answers. So there, there's two things we need to worry about. When we talk about minimums, that's a, that minimum earned income. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also talk about maximums where you can have too much total income. And there's a difference there. We have earned income versus total Taxable. Taxable income. Mm-hmm. So capital gains uh, from stock sales, options, so forth, dividends, interest, rental income, that's mm-hmm. all considered portfolio income, not earned income. So you really have two big sources. Well, I'll say three. Earned income. One is your W-2. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is self-employment. Uh, number three is if you're a general partner of a partnership. With a guaranteed payment too. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
where you are getting, again, self-employment income. Yep. So those are the three things that go into it. So if I can max out my IRA contribution, if I have $6,000 of earned income. Doesn't take much. Right. But the other half of that, which Jeff pointed out, is and I, I'm not sure it's taxable. I think it's actually AGI, but same idea. Yeah. We're putting all of our income together, every source. That's going to be your capital gains and your earned income to see if we hit this other limit of maybe we made too much and now we can no longer contribute to a, an IRA or something of that nature. So that might be why you're getting two different answers, uh, perhaps. And the maximums are confusing because mm-hmm. there's different rules for different situations. Yeah, uh, it matters whether or not you have a, a access to another plan, uh, if your spouse does, or if you both do. All those have different levels of what one can contribute, or uh, I'm sorry, how much income you can have before mm-hmm. uh, whether or not they can contribute or not. And we have a cheat sheet that we use, so I don't keep it in my mind. Yeah. I think it's the one that Jeff put together this year. <laughs> the, they just what? sent that out again to me. We need another one. Next I know. Yeah, we got, it's time for another one already for 2022. Yeah. So I think that's why you're probably getting two different answers is they're talking about the two different levels, the, the amount of earned income, which is one thing, that minimum you have to have. And then there's the max that you can have, which includes all your income, yeah. your, your trading, et cetera, uh, and earned. All right. I withdrew 140000 from two IRAs, wife and mine, in December 2020. I think we're talking about maybe CARES Act distribution here, perhaps, uh, for real estate investment. Uh, Told I had to return one-third of it each year or pay tax on it. Ameritrade admin told me that the IRS website gave no such timeline, just that I had three years to return it. For some reason, the return amount was not posted in time, so I guess I'll find out. What is true? One third must be returned each year or just returned in the last of uh, the three years? Can you quote IRS resources? Your Ameritrade person is correct. You have three years to repay that if it is a CARES qualified distribution. Until you repay it all, you're required to pay one third of the tax. So that may be where the confusion is coming from. Yeah. If I take out, I'm going to use 120 instead of 140. Yeah. If I take out $120,000 each of the next three years, including the year of distribution, which I never understood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in each, each of those three years, you have to report, I would have to report 40000 or a third of my distribution as taxable. Let's say I do that. I pay tax on the first 40, pay tax on the second 40. And then the third year, I repay the whole thing, my whole uh, $120,000 distribution. So what do I do? Well, then you have to go back and amend as at least that's the current thought is that they're going to make you amend, go back and get your credit for those taxes that you paid in the previous years. There was a lot of controversy about this whole thing way back in the day of the CARES Act, and it wasn't really believed that this is what was intended by Congress. Nonetheless, this is how it it turned out. Uh, Most felt that it was like you got three years, don't pay any tax until three years. I think the IRS, knowing, hey, we know how taxpayers can be. Maybe we'll take a little bit each year so it's not such a big whammy after three years, perhaps. Might have been the thought process. Don't really know, but that's where we're at. Are you saying if you give me a 1099-R <laughs> in 2020, I may ghost you in year 2022? I, I, I'm sure you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, I did want to bring up something else about this. The very first sentence that says in December, I withdrew $140,000 in December 2020 for RE investment. This is actually a disqualifying event for this entire rule. Uh, the purpose of the CARES distributions uh, were if you had, uh, what's the terminology? Any illness expenses or any uh, hardship from yes. the, the, the COVID virus impacted negatively. I don't know who wasn't. <laughs> True. So it was to pay your expenses and so forth in a time of need. And you are not the only person who has done this. Lots and lots of people have taken advantage of this, uh, taken money out of their IRAs or 401ks uh, and made real estate and other type of investments. But technically, this does not qualify as a CARES distribution. Yeah. And I don't honestly remember the dates. I know one of the dates, there was a CARES distributions and then there was the other Oh, heavens, I don't remember. What was the the loans, maybe? I think they had two different dates. One was like in September, late September, and one was towards the end, December 30th, but I can't remember which was which. Yes. As far as quoting IRS sources, I do have them. I just, I, honestly, I can't type them in here. So if you could submit this somewhere, maybe a, 
send it off. We, we can get you that. Sorry, uh, I have uh, the IRS website where they have frequently asked questions and they kind of go over some of this that might be a, of assistance. And one of the things you have to do for this is fill out form 8915-E, which actually, actually asks if they're qualified distributions, how much was qualified because of COVID reasons, how much was not. And so you have to kind of attest as to your reason for taking the distribution and how the funds were used. Yeah. yeah. But if you, you know, well, we'll just leave it at that. We've also <laughs> kind of seen this. Uh, Idle was another area where mm-hmm. people were yes. taking Idle loans, EIDL loans, uh, emergency, mm-hmm. whatever, disaster loans, where they were taking money out. And the rules for those Idle loans are very specific and very tough that you can't use them for anything but your company's needs. Mm-hmm. And we saw quite a few people distributing it out to themselves and putting it in their pockets and so forth. And in that case, SBA, when they're finding people doing that, they're actually calling the loans. Yeah. So yeah, just be careful of that. All right. Some, some of these laws were not well thought out. Well, I think it was done in, you know, in haste. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. And, uh, you know, the world was definitely in a turmoil at that point. Not that it's not now, but uh, I think things were a little bit, uh, Hazy at best. All right. We'll get past those bad memories and get some new here. When trading crypto, if you can trade an alternate coin for Bitcoin, is that a taxable event? I converted some of my Solana and Cardano to buy Bitcoin. Is this a taxable event? Yes. Pretty much the same way securities are. If mm-hmm. I I have to sell IBM to buy Microsoft. And though this is a more direct conversion. Uh, IRS has already said they consider this the Solana sold and the cash with that being used to purchase the other yeah. cryptocurrency. And when they finally acted and spoke on this, which was maybe, I don't know, maybe three years ago, perhaps four, uh, they came right out the gate and said this. So this is uh, something that I would believe they're going to stick to, uh, you know, this treatment of it. Yeah, I, I don't like that they follow some of the security transaction right. rules and some they don't. Yeah, they've, they've, and I appreciate that it's a difficult situation here, but nonetheless, you want to have clarity and understanding in the code. And But uh, nonetheless, in this particular situation, anytime you, you buy something or you trade with Bitcoin, it, that's a taxable event one way or another. That's very true. If I go out and buy a Tesla with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. I have a taxable event on that also. That's right. Yeah. Purchasing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So you could, you, and if you mine Bitcoin, you get ordinary income for that or staking, typically ordinary income, although they always talk about giving you interest. Well, it's not interest, it's ordinary income. And uh, mm-hmm. anytime you spend that for something, then you have another taxable transaction because you bought it something with it. So kind of it's like a double taxation. I, I think the uh, companies holding the wallets and all are going to be. I think they're going to be forced to get much better at tracking transactions. Yeah, I think it has to go that way. And, and that's, I had heard an, uh, a comparison to where maybe the major brokerage houses were some time ago, you know, how now they're forced, they, it's nothing to them. They always have to track all those uh, trades and things with stocks and whatnot. And, and many are thinking that's probably the way this is going to go as well. And technology, frankly, is there to be able to do it. So it's just a matter of, you know, getting it set up correctly. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Airbnb has requested I submit a W-9 form by the end of the month to avoid a 30% deduction. This is the first time they've requested this, I believe, because I've made over a certain amount for the year. All the income has been going into a, a business account for my single member LLC from day one, not taxed as a corporation. Is there any particular way I should uh, complete the form to ensure the lowest tax liability? The answer to the very last question is, there's rules on how to fill this out. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the W-9 first. All businesses who pay other people for services and certain other things, they apparently don't trust medical professionals or right. attorneys. attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you have to issue a 1099 miscellaneous or a 1099, what's the one called? Uh, NEC, non-employee yes. compensation. Yes. And... They're kind of jumping. I kind of felt like they were jumping ahead. If this is the first time they're asking, they're already threatening the the backup withholding. Yeah. So the W-9 needs to be filled out. And IRS will actually come back and tell them that you they have to withhold 30%. 
I just haven't seen it happen this early. Yeah. And I had heard that they weren't doing it so much unless you made like a kind of a lot of income, but uh, it's supposed to be $600 is my understanding. But uh, most people weren't running into it until it was like maybe 10, 20,000 perhaps. I think Airbnb is slowly just coming around and being forced to get this out there at lower and lower dollar amounts and they're getting their systems together to, to comply, et cetera. So I would not be surprised if a lot of people get that this year. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you do have to fill it out. Now, how to fill it out, that's a whole different question. You note that this is a single member LLC. And often you'll see on that W-9 form, it'll talk about what entity got it and which EIN number or perhaps what name or et cetera, and all these different uh, kind of confusing questions. How's that work? Well, they, they've changed it in the past couple of years that they want to know who the ultimate recipient of the income is mm-hmm. from a tax standpoint. From a tax standpoint, so I can fill it out and say this is being paid to Web LLC, but I also have to list myself mm-hmm. as the primary uh, recipient because it, the LLC is disregarded to me. I'm going to have to list my social security number probably. Address. Uh, I don't know if we can do just the EIN. We're seeing this on a lot of forms is that IRS is wanting to know who is the ultimate recipient. So when Airbnb issues you a 1099, the 1099 will say Jeffrey Webb, DBA, Webb LLC uh-huh. on it. And we'll probably have my social security number on it. So yep. I'm sure to report that income on my return. That's right. Now, if this LLC happened to be a single member here, let's say it was disregarded to a C corporation. Uh, if it had been, well, then you'd have the name of the corporation mm-hmm. on line one and you'd use the EIN of that corporation. We kind of just ignore the disregard, although they're starting to ask more about the disregard too, uh, but they won't need the EIN or anything. Just maybe the name on line two is, I think that's where they put the disregarded name. Yeah, so when you have a corporation or even an S corporation involved, you don't have to issue 1099s to those. So it will ask oh, yeah, what type point. of entity yeah. it is, <laughs> and you mark C Corp or S Corp or whatever. And in those cases, you won't get a 1099 back. Now, best practices for issuing W-9s is before I pay you a cent, Elliot, I want a W-9 from you. Yeah, you have to get that W-9. As I've told clients before in, in Platinum Office Hour, I used to work for a company that built uh, components for gaming machines here in Vegas. There's a lot of parts that come into those things. We have you know, numerous vendors, and I had to go out and give a, 10, a W-9 from all of them every year, not just if we had one on file from a previous year. Every year, I'd have to get one updated. That was our get-out-of-jail-free card in case something went wrong. And we would not do business with them until they'd filled that out first. So if you're filling this out for a disregarded entity or an LLC, I'm going to suggest you look at the instructions for the lines. It'll it'll kind of clarify it. There's really not that much information they're asking for, but I agree with you. It can be confusing. It's an intimidating form the first time you see it. And after you've dealt with it many, many times, uh, it does, you get used to it, but you're not dealing with it many times. You're just trying to deal with it once. So uh, don't be scared of it, but uh, you do want to be compliant. And if you have any questions, the instructions actually are all in the back for just about every question you could ever want. It's just being taking the time to read that small fine print. Uh, and certainly we would you know, try and assist as best we could as well. But uh, yeah, it's something that you need to fill out. So if, if, if you feel comfortable or if you feel like you've done the W-9 correctly, your next step should be make copies of it. Yes. Because if anybody asks for a W-9, you're just going to hand it out to them. Well, that's right. So you don't have to keep doing it over and over and over. All right. Uh, you can follow Anderson on social media. We are all over the place. We have so much subject matter out there. I just love the the young picture of Clint up there. <laughs> yeah. He's not that young anymore. Uh, we're on it's him, Clint, not me. <laughs> we're, we're on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Where else are we? we you all LinkedIn. can probably see it on your screen yeah, better than my Twitter, I the YouTube, LinkedIn. What's that first one? Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Those guys, yeah. <laughs> Big brother. Yeah, okay. And uh, then uh, call us all these uh, ways to get a a hold of Anderson and uh, we'll help however we can. I have a rental property that I would like to sell. Can I find a replacement property first and still do a 1031 transaction? Ooh, I love this one. What's that that called? A reverse 1031 or reverse like kind of exchange. 
So yes, you can. You just do it in the opposite direction. Instead of finding a property first, you already kind of sign up that you're going to get rid of yours. Or wait, I'm sorry. You find the property first that you're going to get <laughs> the replacement property, and then uh, you list that, and then within 45 days, you you start the process of selling yours. So let's talk about a few details. Well, first thing you should do before you sell the, or purchase that property, you need a qualified intermediary. Uh-huh. You cannot give the seller cash. So what? how you do this is you loan the money to the QI who purchases the property for you on your behalf. So I think the only way I've seen this is when there's been cash available to do this. Right. I would think so. Yeah. I guess you could get cash from elsewhere to to satisfy. If you buy it with a mortgage, it really complicates things. So I wouldn't suggest that. Uh, the next thing you mentioned was 45 days. Uh-huh. So within 45 days of purchasing this property, you have to identify the property you're going to relinquish. That shouldn't really be that hard since... Yeah, it's a property... <laughs> Um, the property you want to give up. So. It's usually a lot more difficult the other way around. If you're ready to sell your property, you've sold your property and you have 45 days. That's and- the hunt because you're not trying to find a property. And right now, everybody knows real estate's yep. you know, flying off the shelves. So uh, probably reverse is the better way to go. I agree. Yeah. The other date is 180 days after buying the property. Mm-hmm. You have to have closed on your relinquished property. We got to be done with it. Got to be done. Mm-hmm. All right. I own four duplexes, each one held in a separate LLC. I also self-manage them. Is it beneficial to set up a C-Corp to manage them? Does this provide asset protection and tax benefits? Since I'm a mom and pop business, is expense worth it? I like that last question. Yeah. <laughs> um, it could be beneficial to have a C, have your C-Corp manage it. And I'm thinking if you have significant expenses like the medical ram medical expenses uh-huh. and stuff like that that you can pass on to your C corporation. Then any management fees that you pay to that C corporation are going to offset that lowers the amount of income to you personally. And you do have four duplexes. That's eight units. So we got a lot to manage there. So the C corporation typically takes on more and more utility the more you have to manage. And that's not an insignificant amount to manage there. So yeah, you could earn a little bit of fee, shift that income off your 1040 get some cash in your C corporation, get some reimbursements like Jeff's talking about. The asset protection absolutely is there if you're in the LLCs. C corporation has really good asset protection typically. So uh, yeah, it could be worth it, you know, but that comes down to, you know, as Toby and Jeff always say, is it worth it? Well, we got to calculate, calculate, calculate. Right. So you're, you're basically adding one entity, yeah, a property manager. Mm-hmm. Depending on what state you, you're in, it's going to depend on what the state renewal fees are, uh, filing fees are. You're going to have to file a tax return for that corporation every year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are some expenses involved, but those expenses are also deductible to that corporation. Right. So yeah, it can have a lot of uh, tax and asset protection attractiveness to it. Mm-hmm. All right. I own a rental in California. I'd like to put it in an LLC for, uh, for, for protection. If I exit in a 1031... The QI has told me it's better not to have the LLC. If I sell it outright in an LLC, is it is that better, worse, or the same respect to tax? Will it still be a disregarded entity? Any other issues to consider tax-wise? So the old 1031 with an LLC. I'm going to disagree somewhat with your QI. If you put it in an LLC for asset protection, especially if it's disregarded to you, it doesn't really affect anything. It typically doesn't. This is the one thing that IRS says when we deal with disregarded LLCs to the same you know, title ownership is the big issue with the 1031. You're going to be best, I would suggest, having it in the LLC titled in there and then always doing your business through that because you always have your asset protection. Just means any replacement properties, if you ever did a 1031 down the road, have to come back into that LLC. I don't know, you know, and this is one of the things that we always have to be real careful with the IRS. Can you take it out of that LLC? Well, it's disregard. So, and if it's in your personal name, may not have a problem, but you want to be careful and just make sure and talk to people, make sure they know what they're talking about because things can change. One other common problem we have with LLCs like this, if it was disregard to you right now, what if you got married and you went to a non-community property state that turns it into a partnership? Now we got a problem. So there's little tricks there. You got to be aware of that that LLC, making sure it's always disregarded. Uh, but there isn't any difference tax-wise. 
better, worse, or other? I think the only issue would be if you put it in an LLC that it's taxed differently. Oh, yeah. Well, then, yes, yes. Then you've changed it. That's why I'm saying, like, if it went into a partnership, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got problems. Or if it was a C Corp or an S Corp, whole different type of entity than the disregarded now. And now we have issues. But even if it's in an S Corp, it can LLC taxes an S Corporation. Mm -hmm. That really shouldn't affect the like kind exchange as long as I'm going, I'm selling from that S Corporation and the property I'm replacing it with. Is going back into that S corporation. Yeah, as long as we have same title, always going back into that same thing. Yeah, we should be okay there. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as it being an LLC disregarded to you personally, I don't see any issues. No, not a, not that I know of. We've actually run into where we talk about putting entities in LLCs, and then you want to refinance, and the bank wants you to pull the mm-hmm. property out. Yeah. They've pretty much ruled that even that will be. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's a temporary thing to do the refinancing. And they seem to they seem to be the IRS seems to to work with you on this a little bit more. Uh, but always be careful of that LLC somehow having its tax status changed yeah. from what it originally was. That's the big uh, cautionary tone here, I think. Very good question. All right. Explain a scenario filing a 1065. That's a partnership return instead of a 1040 for your individual. I thought everyone had to file a 1040 for their personal returns. You are exactly correct. 1065 is a pass-through entity, Mm -hmm. which means it doesn't pay its own tax. It passes all of its income through. They give you a K-1 and you report that on your 1040. So it's not, I'm going to file 1065 instead of a 1040. I'm going to file 1065 and I'm going to report that income on my 1040. Right. 1065 would come first. You get your K1, which is your part distribution or of information coming from the partnership return. That goes on your 1040. So you'll sometimes hear your accountant say, you know, you'll turn in your partnership or S Corp uh, tax documents and your 1040 stuff. And uh, you may want to know where your 1040 stands because you, you know you got a refund coming. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, your CPA or accountant can't prepare that 1040, can't finalize that 1040 until they have those pass-through entities finished. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it can kind of gum things up. And where we're seeing a lot of problems with this is with like the syndications, these big operations, partnership returns, no doubt. And they have all these K-1s, they got, but they kind of are real slow at getting those K-1s out. And that can kind of gum up getting your 1040 done. So several years back, I don't even remember when, end of it, 1040 deadlines and partnership and S-corp deadlines were all the same day. Brutal. And corporations were a month earlier. (laughs) And IRS pretty much did everybody a favor and made all the pass-through entities of 1065, the 1120S, do a month before the 1040 and the 1120 or two. Yeah, made it a lot, just made a lot more sense. Uh, it's really terrible having a 1040 almost done and you're waiting for a K-1 from somewhere Mm -hmm. else and they send it to you on the 15th of the deadline. So much crossing of wires and all that stuff. It was was ugly back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, we've moved on, thank God. All right, subscribe to Anderson Advisors on YouTube for the newest updates. It's our YouTube. ABA link link slash YouTube. Is that slash or backslash? I always get them. Forward slash. Forward slash. Backwards Forward. Gotcha. Forward slash. There we go. My wife and I are directors, officers, and shareholders of our Wyoming C-Corp. We have not taken salary for five years. We want to take medical reimbursement from the C-Corp. Do we need to take a salary in order to do so? Our CPA told us we need to. I want to hear your answer first. No, you don't have to take a salary. Salary is not what makes you an employee. Being an officer, you are an employee. Correct. So you're automatically allowed to take that medical reimbursement. You're not going to give me an opportunity to disagree with you, are you? No, <laughs> that's it. That's the that's the answer. Yes, uh, your CPA is incorrect. And since medical reimbursements have nothing to do with taxes or payroll and all, there's if Elliot reimburses me for all my medical, he's still not going to issue me a W two if he has not paid me salary. Yeah, there's no salary, so nothing to issue. So this is a simple one. So we're going to disagree with your CPA. I understand where they think that they need to have a salary because we often I've heard this before myself, but it's just not the case. All right. So I think that was it. That was all of our questions uh, here. Oh, wait, just a little reminder. We have our tax and asset protection workshop coming up November 20th. 
nine to four. And you can register at ABA link forward slash tap. You know, I haven't been to that in a while. Probably. Yeah, we, we always need to get in there and, and brush up. We, we like to have as many of our employees attend that because there's a lot of good information. This is, I, I kind of feel like the, the, the tax and asset protection is the place where they kind of tie things together. They really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, both the legal and the tax side. Yeah, it really is the, uh, the great melting pot of the two. Maybe that's know. why they call it tax and asset protection. Probably. Tap. <laughs> so there you go. November 20th, nine to four. And uh, let's see here. Just uh, here's these, some more. Yeah, these are our various podcasts. You can see me and Toby and Tax Tuesday, stock market strategies, mm-hmm. et cetera. Alternate solutions for real estate investing. I'm telling you, we got a ton of information out there. Mm. I know sometimes I'll Google stuff and I end up on our own page. Yeah, and I was, it always comes up on my cell phone, like my YouTube videos. It's always an Anderson ad in there. And I always think, oh my gosh, it's and the partners see me. <laughs> when I'm trying to watch some video for, you know, like some, I don't know, some music video. But yeah, please take advantage of that. We like putting that out there. The partners love doing this, this material. I think they just like the whole idea of, hey, I got something I can share with people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always different corners, always looking for new ways of doing things. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's it's in who the personality of Toby and Clint. Uh, it's just who they are and Michael, the partners, and they definitely uh, send that good vibe down to us. So you can probably put... A- heck a lot of different terms in your search and put Anderson in there with you and you're probably going to come up with one of our pages or you're going to get uh what was it the Anderson that's no longer with us from back in the uh <laughs> the, the, the early I 2000s told them not to shred the document <laughs> right <laughs> the old uh, uh Arthur Anderson the Arthur other one Anderson. the other Anderson <laughs> all right the replays in your Platinum Portal. Yes, you will have access to replays for this and any other uh, event like this in the Platinum Portal. Yeah, I think I usually get an email the following week. Yep. Questions. If you have questions, please send them to Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors or visit andersonadvisors.com. We have a database of uh, tax questions that have been asked over this uh, Tax Tuesday at andersonadvisors.com. We try to get to all of them. We'll do the best we can. It takes some time, but we, we yeah, we we uh, try and get to them all. If you have uh, a question that has a lot of detail information, or what would I call it? personal information, mm. a lot of financial information, you probably want to ask for a tax consult for something like that. That's for your protection as much as anything. Also, in some certain detailed situations, our answers are honestly going to. Uh, be more more detailed the more we know about the situation. Yeah, and more accurate. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. it, it's all about the details, and and that sometimes takes a consult uh, consultation to do that. It might be a little frustrating. You you put your answer in, you're wanting you know, your your question, you want an answer. We sometimes have to you know talk a little bit more about it in a consultation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've all ran across where we've answered a question, and then. After you've answered that question, it comes back that they give you another piece of detail that you didn't have before. Yeah. And, and it, it, it can really change mm-hmm. what your answer is. Yeah. And it's not, we understand that the clients don't always know what no, to provide. Not. We get that. Uh, it's just, so if you often get a question saying, hey, I need a, another consultation. Well, it's, it's, we're doing that for your own benefit. Yeah. And I think that's about all we have here. I think that's it. We're going to get you out of here. 356. Oh, that's a hey, one other thing I wanted to bring up. <laughs> You all heard the infrastructure bill was passed. Mm. Uh, I believe it's sitting on the president's desk waiting to be signed. There is also a couple other items out. The employee retention credit is probably going to go away. If your employer paying paying employees, I see that sunsetting very soon. Uh, The other thing they've talked about, if you're in states like California, New York, or other places, you may pay high taxes, income taxes is Congress is probably going to change that $10,000 salt state and local tax limitation. They're looking at $80,000 limitation. Yeah, that's a uh, brutal one. And, and my bad, excuse me for the people who work for me. I thought that was part of the infrastructure bill and apparently it's not, but that sounds like it has a really good chance of passing and should help out a lot of people. Yeah, I think that one probably has a lot of, uh, a lot of fans. 
yeah. <laughs> to put it mildly. I don't think that $10,000 was ever really a popular. Yeah, that was a really bad number. It was, it didn't really help in all in any way, shape or form. And I don't know how they came up with it other than just it was an even number. If they were looking to make people angry, job well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that had a crushing effect, especially for our clients in the Northeast or West Coast, where we have typically higher to state taxes. I saw, you know, six digit losses and deductions that you had one year that all of a sudden you didn't this year. And that was... Uh, you know, that was a, a, a terrible shock to a lot of people. And if you're paying high income taxes, state income taxes, and also paying high personal property taxes or real prop- property taxes, mm-hmm. you may be taking a, having a huge tax bite taken out of you by state and local that you're getting no benefit from. So, yeah, this is actually one I, I'd be happy to see resolved yeah, they need with a higher number. You need to retool that one. That's right. And uh, hopefully we get it. That's it for us today. We thank everybody for attending. Toby should be back in two weeks. Yep. So I'll be back on the uh, other side answering questions. (laughs) We are also, these two guys are also here every Friday Mm -hmm. from 4 to 5 p.m. Who picked that time slot? Was not I. Well, we already have the platinum. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. (laughs) I think that was to make sure Elliot was still in the office on Friday afternoon. Uh, <laughs> you know, I thought about changing that. Well, you know, because five o'clock on the East Coast is like 8 p.m. It's not like 8 p.m. It is 8 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we have the platinum office hour that time all, all, all week long. So I suppose that's why we kind of kept with that. Maybe. But feel free to join us for those tax platinum hours we all, or tax office hours. Mm-hmm. We also have platinum office hours. Monday to Friday, uh, four to Monday five. To Thursday. Thursday excuse me, Monday, Thursday for Platinum Office Hour, uh, and then uh, four to five Fridays for the, the tax hour. And we have bookkeeping office hours, I believe, are on. Troy, what is that? I'm, I'm blindsiding Troy. <laughs> <laughs> and Wednesdays, he says. Wednesdays, I think it's at three o'clock. Does it, you got a time there? Uh, he forgot. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, sounds right. Three o'clock. <laughs> and yes, thank you to everyone on the on our staff here. Uh, I just remember Dana. We had Pio, Christos, Dutch filling in. Um, Kurt. Kurt. I know I'm missing somebody. Troy. Troy. Uh, I don't have a list of them. But anyway, thank you so much for everyone helping out. And thank you for joining. Have a good week. And we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 